right, everybody. Welcome back to the Performance for Life podcast. This is your co-host, Jake Laspinato. I'm here with my two other co-hosts, my main man, Chris Leone and Patrick Denava. And today we have a really special guest on, and I'm really excited about this one because it goes a little bit more into some of the stuff we've been talking about deeper than just our, our physical health and really exploring mental, emotional, spiritual side of health. And his name is Ellis Hulse. And Ellis is a licensed clinical social worker. He's been working in the field of mental health for the past 14 years. He graduated from NYU with a MSW. He did a postgraduate studies at the Focusing Institute in New York, which was focusing on a body-centered approach to psychotherapy and communication. This path began for him at the age of 16 after being introduced to Eastern philosophy and different mindfulness practices, mainly through martial arts practices. Noticing how these practices in different ways of seeing life impacted his own sense of well-being and ability to manage stress, anger, and conflicts resulted in a desire to find a profession in which these ideas can be shared. So currently, he uses a blend of different mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapies and mind-body exercises to help people better cope with anxiety, stress, depression, and life transitions and grief. So, whew, I love it, man. And, and, and I, I really love... One of the biggest things is growing up, I, I had gone to different therapists and I've seen a couple of different therapists throughout my life. And it wasn't until the one I currently have that I really connected with because she uses a very similar approach to Eastern philosophy, mindfulness practices and meditation and those areas. So I really love that it was introduced to you. And then you were kind of like, oh, damn, I, I actually would like to do this as a, as a career. Was there like a specific event that like made you want to transition into a career? I wasn't too sure. You know, it, it wasn't a black and white kind of thing. It kind of just unfolded like this just became the, the path that that seemed to be the best way of doing it. You know, so like I used to start reading a lot because the martial arts place that I was going to, it wasn't like, I was actually looking for a place that was more just like sports fighting. You know, my uncle did Kung Fu and, you know, he, he always made it sound cool. He'd show us some move, break bricks and shit. I always thought it was cool. And I wanted to do stuff like that. I just wanted to fight and be badass. But the school I ended up finding or actually en ended up moving into where I lived in Baldwin was more of a traditional Kung Fu school. And they were all about, you know, different like Eastern ideas. And they had a Zen center that would rent out. So in addition to just like learning a lot of like the Taoist philosophies, also like Tai Chi and Qigong, also participating in a lot of Zazen, sitting meditation. So at that point, it was just like a big part of like something that helped me deal with a lot of the anger. Growing yeah. up, you know, being a guy in high school playing football and, you know, full of testosterone, anger and frustration, you know, dealing with stress wasn't something mm -hmm. that was, was easy. It often came out in like destructive ways. So just realizing like there's a different way of handling stuff helped me tremendously, right? And then I didn't know like really what to do with that. I went to, I ended up going to college, played football in college. The only thing I was interested in was psychology. So I studied psychology. And then afterwards, uh, I was living in Jersey City and working at Starbucks and bouncing, right? <laughs> and kind of like not knowing what to do with my life at that time, you know? But always had a passion, was always still reading self-help books you know, different Eastern philosophy books, still practicing Qigong, Tai Chi, 
Kung Fu and started doing some, some Judo and Jiu Jitsu at that time also. So this was all just like what my life was at that time. And when I was in college, my senior year actually took me five years to finish a four-year school. You know, right? <laughs> happens. Right? Yeah. So, it took me seven, so it's all good. <laughs> you know, so at that time, my family ended up moving down to Florida. Family being like my parents ended up moving down to Florida. And at that time, Elliot, my brother, he ended up moving down to Florida. So I was there just in Jersey City trying to figure out, figure out my way. And I had all these books around me. I was reading and just trying to figure out the next step forward. And actually, I was studying to be a personal trainer at that time, just because, you know, it was kind of in the family, it's what people were doing. And I was like, yeah, I'm seeing myself doing it. I'm interested in it too. I actually was studying some of Paul Check's stuff, his like mm-hmm. scientific back book. I was reading through yeah. that, trying to like learn different techniques and stuff to train people. And one of my martial arts teachers had a friend that was a psychologist. You know, and he knew my undergrad. He knew I was like kind of confused and trying to find my way. And he said, listen, if you want to start owning some of your clinical skills and if you want to take your psychology degree, you can't do anything with it right now. But if you wanted to, the next best step to do would be to get a master's degree in social work. I was like, mm-hmm. and at first social work, I thought social work, I thought like DCF, you know, CPS, you know, child welfare stuff. I didn't know with a social work degree you could actually be a therapist. So that opened my eyes to this path. And I was like, all right, why not? So um, yeah. kind of like at that time, looking around at the books that were really drawing my attention. So most of them were like psychology books. Like I had a lot of like Carl Jung books around and like Ellis books, just different, like a lot of different like philosophy books. I was like, you know, it seems like at this point, philosophy and mental health is what's drawing my attention. So I just, I stopped studying that stuff and just applied to schools and got in. Nice. And I realized like, this is something that um, definitely resonates with me. And you can in- incorporate so many different aspects of, of physical health into mental health as well as, as I continue to learn and study. So that's like a, a long-winded answer, I think, to that question. <laughs> yeah. What were some of those books that you first started reading? Like, what would you say were those like books that really like changed your mentality on like when you were younger and dealing with that aggression? Like, what were some of those books that influenced you the most? When I was younger? Yeah, as you were younger and then, you know, yeah. just maybe some books that like, you know, still to this day, like you, you kind of look back and read into a little bit, you know. Yeah, this book is a big one. Bias into Psychotherapy. You know, okay. This is all about like, this is one of the first books that like blended the idea of mindfulness in therapeutic work for me and made me go into the, like to the focus institute because really what this talks about is that you know, we access, we can access a lot of the emotional and mental difficulties in the present moment with the client, you know, and by slowing down and practicing some mindfulness experiments in this moment, just here and now, you can help a person feel into how whatever the issue is, is showing up in their life in this moment. And you can mm-hmm. access the information and help them reorganize a way of seeing their lives instead of getting mm-hmm. caught in old patterns of organizing information, all ways of responding, be able to notice those patterns in that moment by helping them feel into it. But as far as like books early on, it really wasn't, really wasn't books. (laughs) It was more like, so Alan Watts, right? His Eastern Western psychotherapy was one book I did get and read and started studying, but it was mostly his audio. So, you know, after learning about Taoism and, and Zen and wanting to know more about it, I used to go to Napster and type in Zen or Taoist. And then I'd get all these audios for mm. that really kind of like 
made me really want to know more and learn more and capture my attention. That guy is fucking entertaining as hell. So you spend hours <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the organic nature of life and getting out of your mind and into your body, mm. your senses. Yeah. But what I, is I, you- I Patrick, there is one book, a Zen book, Three Pillars of Zen by Philip Kopla. Okay. I'm writing it down. That was, that was a Zen book that really was impactful for me and helped me understand Zen philosophy more. Did you say that helped a lot, you know, in your football career, like applying those types of principles? Yeah, it helped. Definitely. It helped. It helped with training. I think like working out, like the whole idea of being able to stay present and work out and being able Mm -hmm. to like not get caught in the pain of working out sometimes, be able to just feel it and be with it and not get lost in it or to run away from the pain. Mm-hmm. Helpful. And also breathing exercises. A lot of this, I notice a lot of the Zazen breathing, breathing into your, your Dantian, breathing into your lower abdomen, mm-hmm. you know, that really helped tremendously. Mm-hmm. As well as like the understanding around like spatial awareness, you know, mm-hmm. mind body yeah. awareness in the moment, mm-hmm. full body awareness. Those things I think help with, with training and football practices and stuff like that. Yeah. That makes sense. I can totally, I can totally see that too. Like, I feel like those deep lower abdominal breathing, like that's the whole, that's the first piece of engaging the core is like literally deep breath and then contracting that transverse abdominus, you know, and really squeezing tight. So think of like, it made me think of like a, like a heavy squat or heavy deadlift. It's like, you want to make sure that core is braced like a son of a gun. Yeah, there's something comforting about deep belly breaths, right? It's comforting and, it, and it's grounding, which is why we probably use it when we're, if we want to lift heavy, right? Because it, it creates that bubble, right? It gives you that 360. Uh, but there's something about Eastern philosophy that I can't quite put my, put my finger on. It has changed my life big time. And I wasn't introduced to it until I was until I was broken. So I was, I was literally broken before I was, I was broken. Then I was introduced to Eastern philosophy and it made sense. And what I noticed was that the reason why it made sense was because I was stripped of all the things that I thought were the aspects of my life that was actually pushing me forward. And then Eastern philosophy allowed me to look internally which is something I would not have been able to do when I was 20, when I was 15, when I was 10, that wouldn't happen. Right. And it's, and it's like, it's it's like, there was just a natural evolution that happened within me. That was just, that was just so beautiful. And then now I look at it and I'm like, how come we don't just do this for everyone? (laughs) Right. Like we could, we could heal so much people. Like if we just taught them, you know, Eastern philosophy, right? If we just taught them Buddhism or we talked, we talked about the Buddha and so on and so forth. But there is a certain, that's why there are people like you, Ellis. There has to be a connection. Once it's an internal connection, I feel like, because it just makes sense from a human perspective, right? right. Take God, take all that other stuff out of the way. Yeah. Just from being purely human, Eastern philosophy is it. How do I just be a human? It tells the story. Right. And, and I just get, and it's like a reaffirmation every time. Right. I, I read, I read a book or right now I'm reading a Thich Nhat Hanh book that just came out about the Nirvana Sutra. And he goes through all that. And it's just like, wow, like this stuff is real. And so my question for you is how do you establish that pipeline between Eastern philosophy and the person that comes to you? Yeah. You somehow awaken them. You have a gift of 
waking people up. That's a wonderful gift to have. And so if you could like elaborate on that, just the process and what it takes would be awesome. Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, man. That came from the heart. You know, you can tell like that experience you had is so, so genuine and real. And I love the fact that you brought up Thich Nhat Hanh because I think a lot of his work has also influenced me too. So many of his books. But yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, hundreds, right? It's, it's um, crazy. Peace in Every Step is one that I'm always recommending to people, clients of mine, because mm-hmm. he uses that practical language. And I quote him a lot. And definitely the way I introduce it is using some of his simple language, actually. He says mm-hmm. the energy of mindfulness. And cultivating that energy of mindfulness is how we begin to heal. So like using those simple languages with people, you know, taking out, you know, any of the cultural baggage and just using, like you said, simple, practical, applicable steps. And how do you cultivate Mm -hmm. your mindfulness, you know, and how the energy of present moment awareness is what's needed for us to go in and in the present moment access the emotional pain. You know, and it's difficult to mm-hmm. do when you're on your own. It's it's easier to do in the presence of somebody else and somebody else can hold that energy with you. And together, mm-hmm. you can slow down and go in and say, okay, noticing, like, how are you in this moment right now? Can we allow this moment to be right now? Accepting mm-hmm. this moment just as it is, yeah. you know, and introducing yeah. those just like simple words that's really teaching them mindful awareness and acceptance of themselves in this moment, experientially, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah first with somebody and then by themselves to be able to just take a moment to relax and just feel your body where it is and not to try to do anything but just be notice your breathing notice your body notice the parts of your emotions that feel comfortable and notice the ones that don't feel comfortable also mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and just being able to hold that space of acceptance radical acceptance i don't know if that answers yeah no no that that certainly does right it's I, then i start thinking of things like i could almost picture you teaching the, the Four Noble Truths without teaching the Four Noble Truths and having somebody come to the realization that there is suffering, right? <laughs> and it's just like... Man, you're right on. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you a conversation I had the other day and how this applies to that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, this guy came, he was talking about, like, his big issue is chronic pain. So not only is he dealing with emotional mm. pain, he's dealing with chronic pain and how chronic pain is impacting him emotionally in his self-image. You know, I want to work mm-hmm. out on all these things, but I have this pain in my foot, chronic pain issue, mm. you know, and he's angry and resentful towards himself and life that he has to do with this pain. So he has the pain and he's resisting life, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of, and this is a purely a Buddhist idea, that pain is a necessary part of life, but suffering is something that we we can eliminate or reduce, mm-hmm. right? And the equation is that it's pain plus resistance equals suffering. Plus the resistance that equals the suffering. So if we could, just like in that moment, if we can slow down and just allow that pain to be there, you know, again, breathing, noticing your breathing, noticing the comfort in your breathing, because first you got to develop, someone had developed the, the power of mindfulness to go back to Thich Nhat Hanh that mindful mm-hmm. awareness, you know, once you can develop the comfort and power of present moment awareness, then you can slow down and just allow and accept the pain, right? And then a funny thing happens when we soften and relax and accept the pain, the pain becomes more manageable. You all train, like, you know what that is, like, when you're running yeah. or something and you're resisting running, it's <laughs> soften and relax, like, this shit is going to fucking 
hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Then, all right, then it's okay. (laughs) Right? It still sucks, but by accepting it and allowing it, it kind of like, it makes it more acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's big time, right? The learning to recognize is huge. So just to jump on that, what I dealt with was alcoholism, right? And I still deal with alcoholism. I'm going to be alcoholic for the rest of my life. And that's inevitable, right? That's it, right? That's part of my story. But one of the cool things about it, right, is sometimes I get cravings. I get, sometimes I'll get drunk dreams, right? And they're so, so vivid, right? I would literally wake up and be like, yo, I swear, I probably, do I have a bottle of vodka hidden under my couch or something? Like, what the hell just happened? But the beauty of that is I recognize it. And I say, that's just my mind doing what it does. Because that alcoholism is my trauma. And that trauma is going to live with me. But I've learned to acknowledge it. I've learned to accept it. And it no longer brings me the suffering that it used to. And that's what keeps me away from the bottle. Because now I'm able to acknowledge it. And that's just being in the present moment, like you said, is just is, is such, is such a wonderful feeling, yeah. you know, and, and to have the ability to share that with people and teach people that is just, that's awesome. What type of work do you do now? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a solutions engineer. I work in tech, but I own, me and my wife, we co-own Move Weight. I'm a strength and oh. conditioning coach. Oh, okay. I also started an apparel line. I'm just everywhere, man. <laughs> you, yeah because i just asked you like how much you share because that's awesome you definitely have that the understanding and that experience so like what you just described to me like so the technical terms like in some forms of cognitive behavior therapy like what you're talking about is like being fused with a thought versus diffused like and what that basically means is like to be able to have your thoughts and emotions, but not to be fused with them, to be able to observe them. It, it still sucks, right? The urge still sucks. Yeah. There, you know, oh, yeah. the, the thoughts that accompany them are still difficult, but you have more of ability to, to observe them and not become them. I do not yes. identify with those thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. That's really where like the freedom comes in and like, like psychological healing and say like one of the aims of psychotherapy and healing mental healing in general is to develop that psychological flexibility you know mm. to not be able to have to go back into automatic behaviors and automatic mm. thought patterns even though they're there for you and they feel really intense you know for you to be able to know yeah, yeah they're there but yeah. i'm not subject to them they don't have to i don't have to get lost in them i can observe them notice them you know, do something yeah. like distraction yeah. techniques or breathing. Yeah. Like meditation has been, has been essential because I've literally learned that's, that's how I learned to sit with them. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like, I always think of like when I was, when I was young, I used to be afraid of going into the basement in the dark by myself. Like if I was in a basement, and you turned off the light, it would be a wrap. Like I would go crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, like that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I compare you know, how I used to deal with fear. Mm. Right. And then once I got into meditation and, and, and all that good stuff, I learned to have the ability to turn on the light in the dark room and say, Oh, there was really nothing here. I was just afraid of what I didn't know. The, un- the unknown. Yeah. And once you shed a light on the unknown, you learn about it. Right. Which is, I don't know what the, what the technical terms is for that, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. 
You're doing it. That's Ooh, being comfortable with the uncertain uncertainty. You yeah. Know? yeah. I really I think Ellis, I, I really loved this kind of rewinding here. Um, and Chris, thanks for sharing all that, man. Like I, I love, mm-hmm. I love hearing your story. It's really beautiful. But going back to what you were saying, Ellis, which was kind of like creating that space, that container for clients or your patients to be able to express whatever pain that they're in and helping them to be present with it and, and work through it. And that's, that's something that, you know, I never really experienced until I, I had worked with a a psychotherapist was like really having someone to really hold space and just like be there and help me and guide me through feeling whatever it was that I was feeling and not being afraid to feel it not allowing all that, that self-judgment and that shame or that fear or whatever it was that was coming up, not allowing me to just push it down like I did for so many years. And I literally, it's so funny. I just posted about that today in my post about how working with a psychotherapist changed my life completely. And being able to, to notice when those feelings are coming up. And, you know, like even today, just someone had asked me a question and I noticed like a feeling in my body come up when I answered the question. I was like, Hmm, like, what was that feeling all about? Like, what, let, let me, let me just breathe a little bit and just be present. Let's get out of my head that wants to try to analyze and, and point a finger at whatever it is and just be like, let me just feel this and be with it and not allow my mind to take over. It's such a beautiful process and it definitely has taken a lot of time and I'm still working through you know, and all those, those pieces, not only having that, like that space, but then also having those tools in the toolbox of like Chris was saying, like meditation that has helped me like so substantially in my everyday life to just literally, like I said, get out of my own head and be into the present moment. You know, and Chris, you said like at that point when you felt like you were completely broken and you know, you had lost and everything, basically it sounded like to me, like lost all external things that did you feel like you identified with all these external things? And it felt like that was like your purpose. Yeah. None of that stuff mattered. Cause I just wanted to die. Mm. Like I, I was ready. I was ready to end it because yeah. that's how broken I was. I was like, death right now would probably be the best thing because there's no money in the world. There's no amount of women that could cure this. <laughs> whatever this is i need to get away from it yeah. and this was me yeah i couldn't live with me and what i've what i've created yeah i feel like it's so it's it's so powerful and, and i i've been listening to a lot of eckhart toll's work ellis are you do you listen to his stuff or have you listened to his stuff yeah i've listened to his stuff not in a while but like the whole idea of the, the pain body i mm. think is mm. applicable to what we're talking about and how you know, that pain body causes us to want to distract ourselves in all types of behaviors and manipulations and addictions and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to stay with the body mm-hmm. when there's that emotional pain. Yeah. I noticed you know like, like by feeling more, the more I realized like all the fear and all that other stuff is like really my mind. It's like my, my, my brain almost like lying to me, like based off of like, uh, experiences from my past and learning more about how, like when the pain body shows up and, and going into these old patterns, like wanting to do certain things to distract or stimulate, like for me, like my thing is smoking weed. Like sometimes if I feel really overwhelmed or I'm like wanting to avoid something, it's like, I'll, I'll just go, I'll go smoke a spliff. I'll feel good. I'll forget about everything. When it's like, 
I'm realizing like, I don't have to do that. Like I can just get back into my body and in, in, in touch with, with my soul and my being and separate from my mind because my mind is what's creating this, this desire to escape whatever, whatever thing, whatever is coming up for me. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. I think what I hear you saying and kind of same, same thing like Chris, what you were saying too, is like your idea of your, of yourself being the thought patterns and the, and the pain, you know, and when we're stuck in that, it's kind of, that's when it feels like hopeless, mm. you know, and you, want oh, to yeah. it, you know, I think it's hard. I think it's hard for a lot of people to like, like not identify with those types of thoughts too, especially if you're ma- like, I work as a football coach and, you know, when an athlete, like, let's say the running back fumbles a ball, you know, he's the type of person that's going to get really, really high or really, really low. And it's like that inconsistency of how he just gets so emotional. He feels like he's like a failure. He let the team down, like when he made that mistake. And it's like, I was, t- I talked, I talked to him on the sidelines and I'm just like, Hey, like, you know, like just take a second to just breathe for a sec. Like, like, like it's only the second quarter, but I feel like a lot of people have a hard time, like in the moment to really kind of take a look at the big picture, like reframe the situation you're in, because a lot of times, whatever we're stressing about, it is so minuscule to the grand scheme of life. And I think if more people understood that if they just looked at the bigger picture, whether it's being grateful and practicing gratitude and, and, and being alive, you know, like implementing daily habits to put their frame of mind in, into a place where, you know, yeah, things are going to happen in life and it's going to cause you to obviously react and, and, and feel stressed. But I think when those things happen, you can take that step back to build that awareness muscle and, and really kind of reflect at the bigger picture and realize like, oh, like, you know, this isn't as bad as it seems, you know, it's not the end of the world and I can move forward. I can learn something from this experience. I can take something positive from this experience because I think all in all, how we label it, our perception is really the ultimately key to us living a very fulfilling life. And we all have a choice. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like, you know, you have a choice to how you view something. And I think it all goes back to your environment and the habits you're cultivating every day and, and doing those things to cultivate that, you know, and I think that's, Ellis, that's, you know, what you do as far as, you know, when you work with people, you know, you talk about the situations that are going on, but you develop practices. What are some of the things that, you know, when you're talking with your patients, you know, like I said, from the tactical standpoint, like, you know, things to kind of implement on a daily basis that you kind of recommend for your clients to kind of work on? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. I think just to kind of like even go back a little further to some of the things you were saying that yeah, it is difficult to have this mindset. And I'm like Chris, you were saying before, it's not a philosophy and a, and a way of being that is taught. Generally speaking, you know, it's mm-hmm. only like like self help books and like therapeutic interventions and stuff that we learn some of these things. Like I think the whole dichotomy of acceptance and change. Is, is an important idea that I often talk about with clients, you know, especially ones who um, have like perfectionist tendencies and, you know, a- athletes and things of that sort, right? Where like, there's like, there's a part of you that has to fully accept where you are with your capacity right now as you work to changing and controlling the things you can control. So like, as far as like being in the moment, tactically, like, you know, being able to say, okay, yeah, this sucked. Yeah, you fucked up, but it's all right. What can you do about it? Is there anything you can do right now about it? what's the next actionable step that you can take, you know, being able to like slow down when you're really upset and being able to say, okay, 
what aspect of this situation is within my control versus what aspect is outside of my control, right? Just asking you to yourself that question and being very clear, like, okay, there are a lot of elements here that are outside of my control, but there are always some elements that you can begin to control and influence, right? And it's usually just taking your time and energy to focus on whatever aspect of the situation you can control, right? Knowing that that, that is a, that's the way you go from being a victim to somebody being empowered, you know? Because once you get out of the, the idea you're trying to control things or worrying too much about the recent past failure or whatever it is, then you're just going to be spiraling. But the moment you start taking a corrective action, you, your energy changes and you become more empowered. Yeah. Like, just that question itself what aspect of the situation is within my control especially yeah. athletes right yeah I, I feel like it's a very a lot of the coaching staff that I work with you know they're very have that old school mentality you know yelling, screaming. And here I am studying, you know, behavior change psychology in my free time. And it's like, if you want a kid to work a little bit harder, hustle a little harder, it's like yelling at him and picking on him in front of all the kids isn't really going to be something that's going to get the best out of him. And, and I'm just going through this in my mind, like when that happens and I see that play out, I'm just like, damn, like that kid has like that kid's such a good athlete. He has so much potential, but it's like the way the coaches, you know, have always done it. It's kind of that, that, that mentality. Like you can't really teach a dog new tricks and how they go about communicating with these kids. It's like, it's not the way to no. go about it. Because what, what you're, what you're saying right now, what happens is like people end up identifying with events. I failed at this, so I'm a failure. You know, we tie yeah. so much of our sense of ourselves to certain events that happen, you know, and then of course, it's reinforced, you know, you fucked up and everyone's telling you fucked up, kind of kind of said, well, unconsciously, implicitly, I'm, fu- I'm a fuck up, right? Mm-hmm. So like the whole reframe of like failure is feedback, like, all right, man, yeah, you fucked up, but what can you learn? You're going to fuck up, you're going to fuck up some more, but that's how you grow and learn and reframing it down, yeah. you know, yeah. correctively, right? And that, I guess that's what you're, you're trying to implement. That yeah. Reframe that saying, yeah, fucking up is part of learning and growth. How do you move from failure to failure to mm-hmm. and keep going? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I'm always trying to communicate that with, with these kids. And, you know, this is my first year coaching. So, I mean, the coaching staff I'm a part of is very experienced. So from the football side, I'm learning a lot, but then I'm also learning some things on what not to do, you know? And I, and I think a lot of these kids have gravitated towards me very, very quickly because I'm not talking to them like a lot of the other coaches. Like I talk to them just like, like a human being first and then an athlete second. And I think a lot of the kids like really appreciate that because, you know, they probably have never actually been talked to like that, you know? And I think for me, if I were to look back in, in my high school years and if I had someone who was like me or, you know, who, who really kind of had that sort of mindset early on, like an influence, then I think I probably would be playing at a division one school. Like I, I probably would have had, you know, the accountability to do that. Not, not to say like, I couldn't do it on my own, but I think things would be different. So it's like giving back to those kids and trying to, you know, find that inner drive within them and just me asking the right questions, yeah. you know, to, to kind of get them to the answer that I already know, you know? Yeah. So it's funny because I was, as an athlete, I was that kid. I was that kid who, if coach yelled at me, man, I took that shit. I fucking cry. Not like in front of everyone, but like I'd get super down about it. I'd feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I suck. Or, you know, I, 
I screwed up and now, now I'm a failure. You know, that was my response to that kind of coaching. And I think it's really important. And I think it's really, really incredible, Pat, that you're, you're implementing those things because, you know, I feel like, like we were talking about how Ellis has these conversations or how just in general, we can implement these types of ways of approaching situations with anybody in all aspects of life. It's like, that you doing that is doing that you're you're teaching them and you're just the way that you're having these conversations and communicating i think is is going to make that difference you know cuz then they see oh coach whatever head coach is like this but you know pat like he he talks to me totally different and in like you know encourages me and and you know yeah. is actually coaching me you know mm-hmm. yeah so i yeah. feel like that's really powerful man thank you yeah it's 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 definitely i'm realizing now like it's funny how like I was talking to my coach yesterday and he was, he was telling me about some drama that he was kind of going through with his friend's wife and stuff like that. It's a long story, mm. but <laughs> I don't mean to man, it's so funny. These, I mean, I mean if you got some content, come on. I mean, he's probably not going to listen. I mean, so probably won't mind. <laughs> shit. No, he was just kind of saying it was a misunderstanding between him and his best friend of like 50 years his wife or his second wife actually i guess like it was his birthday it was his 60th birthday and him and a lot of his high school and college football buddies all have like around the same birthday so they celebrated a month ago they went to ireland and then they had like a party and stuff like that too but the wife i guess he said something to the wife about the masks and all that, like, Oh, like, you know, we have grandkids and stuff like that. And then he was just like, yeah, like, you know, like there'll be people with masks, like, but like, I don't know how the way he said it, it came off. Anyways, Mm -hmm. the whole point of the story is, you know, she was trying to kind of divide him and his best friend of like 50 years, but realizing that she, her actions and how I guess insecure she was about it. It's almost like pushing her and her husband away. So he was telling me, Mm that I don't think it's going to last that marriage just because of just so much conflict between, you know, his best friends of 50 years. And, you know, this lady that he just kind of married the last, but like a couple of years ago is kind of just trying to take over. But I was telling him about just, you know, some situations and I mentioned this on the podcast a while ago about an uh, instance where I went with a couple of my high school friends. We kind of met up at his house and this is probably about, this is, I haven't hung out with them in like since probably high school or at least a couple of years after high school. And so we're, I'm a completely different person from where I was back then. And we were at dinner and everything was good until one of them started talking about politics. And I'm not a very political person. You know, I'm pretty sure for a lot of us on this podcast, like we're too busy helping people, making an impact, like we're changing people's lives, you know, and I feel with the time that we put into our craft and what we're doing, it's dedicated towards that. So he was asking me like, you know, like, did you vote and stuff? And I was just like, no, like I I didn't really invest that time. And, you know, he kind of, this was my best friend in high school and he kind of pretty much just drilled me and said like, you know, this is the reason this country is like going to shit and like kind of just bashing me. And like, and I realized in that moment, what was that book? There was a book that came to mind, Tribes, and how us as human beings, like we need to feel a part of something. And I think 
whether it's politics or a sports team or whatever, you know, we all want to be a part of something. And I think because he didn't feel I was like part of his team or something, he had the right to kind of communicate to me in a way that was just, you know, disrespectful. And Mm -hmm. the whole moral of the story, it's like, you know, I feel with people that are kind of going through whatever's going on in their lives right now, a lot of it has to do with their environment whether it's friends or a spouse or their parents, I think it's, it really, it's unfortunate that some things can be outside of our control. But I think when you realize that your environment dictates a lot of the quality of your life and where you're at, and you realize that the people you surround yourself with are not really supportive of you, or, you know, they just don't have the same values or, you know, you're just different, you know, grown and, you know, you're a different person. Realize that, you have to be able to understand like these people will bring you down. These people are not going to aid you in your journey towards growth. Whether you, like I said, you're trying to go on, you start your fitness journey and people give you shit because you're trying to eat healthier versus, you know, having a beer with a friend. So it, it was something that I realized at that point, I was just like, you know, like I've spent a lot of time reading books and trying to self-educate myself and understand how to help people. And the way I was always raised was, judge someone based on their character. You judge someone based on the integrity and how they treated you, you know, as a person. I mean, it's just pretty simple. And like I said, it, it was something that I had to go through. And in that moment, I had to reframe. I took a couple breaths, all these emotions were coming up and I handled it as respectfully as I could. I, I pretty much said like, I respect your opinion, you know, and obviously I was feeling you know, hurt and pain. And, you know, all these things were kind of coming up and, you know, we finished dinner and like I said, just you cut those ties and realize some people are going to go this way. Some people are going to go that way. And that's all you can do, you know? And, and I think for anyone, you know, that is going through some sort of like pain right now, like you're not alone. We're, we're all going through our own different situations. And I think like I said, you just have to be confident enough to realize where you're at right now. Like you're going to get better. You're going to grow. You know, you just got to continue to surround yourself with those people. And, and I think that's, you know, bringing on you, Alice, and you know, like hearing your story and what you're talking about. And obviously, you know, you know, Chris and Jake, I think this whole podcast and what we're trying to do is really be that environment for people that source that they can come to and understand like, Hey, I do have the control. I do have the choice. I do have that power. I can get better. I can perform for life. You know? Yeah. That's just my little rant right there, but yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's good. Just like you were saying before about your engagement with football players, you know, just the whole idea of being present and for them being heard. It's Mm -hmm. such a valuable thing. And I think that's what you were talking about just at my experience too, in some way you could just be there and hear you when you're having some trouble difficulties can just be therapeutic. Like, you know, the whole the whole saying, like you don't have to be a therapist to be therapeutic. Like all of us here, right? You know, and like mm-hmm. like the nature of this podcast can be therapeutic if it's creating health and wholeness for people and giving them a, a different way of seeing life that's healthier and forward moving, right? And just like mm-hmm. yeah, just like being being present, you know. For them and their struggles. And yeah, yeah. It's like just like in your stories, like a lot of times we get caught up in like how people should be. And that's one of the biggest sources of pain, right? You think people should be a certain way and then just Yeah. It's yeah. scary. It's scary to go be alone. And that's why I mentioned that book Tribes. We don't want to be alone. So I think some people feel like they have to feel stuck with where they're at, the people they're around, because they 
rather be with those types of people than be alone, you know? And, and I think being alone is, you know, fear for a lot of people. And I'm, just not- I'm curious too, Ellis, like from your professional standpoint, like, you know, Pat, you're bringing up a good point. Like these people, or I should say your clinical standpoint, but like Pat, you're saying that like these people, they want to be a part of something. So they stay in there. But I'm curious about like how much of that is actually unconscious and how much of that is actually like ingrained, you know, like it's just maybe there's this pull to want something different, but all those unconscious patterns ingrained in the nervous system are what potentially hold people back. And where I'm kind of going with this is like my, my therapist explained to me, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago on one of our episodes is that I was explaining to her, like, you know, sometimes when I get around certain people, maybe family members or certain people I used to hang out with, but I don't really associate with anymore. I notice anxiety come up. I notice like, it's like a, it's like a switch that I'm like in this old patterning. I'm curious around that, like how, how that works. Like, do we literally actually adapt into this way of being and this way of living? And then even if we are making sustainable change, our nervous system can be triggered back into trauma or something along those lines. Yeah. I have like a couple ideas about that. So the different parts of us, right? So we talk about the sense of ourself, you know, there's a whole like philosophical approach within therapeutic landscape called internal family systems. And basically what that is referring to that there's different parts of us that get expressed at different times. You show up a different way in this environment, a part of you showed up this way in this, in this environment, you know, and sometimes there's a part of you that's very angry, that's protecting a part of you that's very scared and sad, you know. So the idea of a self is not as, this is then also a very Eastern Buddhist philosophy and idea. The idea of the self is not as solid as we like to believe. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's more interactional. You know, we know ourselves in our relations a lot of times, you know. And for us to be aware that a part of us is being activated and that part may contracts with another part of you that has different value sets and a different way of being now. But because you're in an environment with certain people, this stimulates this relational pattern that you no longer identify with. Mm. So I don't know if that's what you're experiencing, but that wouldn't be uncharacteristic for that, you know, Mm. because we're open systems, right? We, We can't help but affect each other. Right. Right. You know, and, and again, we were part of our environment. Us and our environment are one, you know. Mm. So what's in our environment affects us and we affect our environment. Mm. You know. And you see yeah. that very much and like every that's why even before, like Patrick, what you were saying, like your relationship with the the all, all the players is so important because your presence, your mindset, I you know, the whole idea of neuroplasticity and mirror neurons show that our brains and our minds are affected by the people around us so much so relationally right so your mental space and how you hold the idea of the players actually affects how they show up Mm. i didn't know that interesting so yeah so we affect each other and you're kind of just just noticing the impact of you know our mental and emotional our energies (laughs) affect the energy of people around us and the science shows that now right Right. you know the presence yeah the presence what i wonder about that is i don't even know how to explain this but in my mind i I experience it. So like things like fear, anxiety, you know, those, those types of things, right? Those types of formation. And this is based on, this is based on my experience. I don't know if it's like that for everybody else, but I'm going to tell you how I, how I dig it. Those, they only live 
either in the future or in the past. When I was younger and I played ball, right? I had a specific coach that I was, I was afraid of and I was afraid to fail, but I never did anything. I, I never did anything yet. So why was I already afraid to fail? Right. But that thing, right. That was that, that anxiety, right. That was pushing me forward sometimes made me really successful or it made me suck real bad. Right. But it was that driving force, right. That fear that I, that I had. And then fast forward to Chris 36, I realized that number one, if I'm with a person and I am present with that person, right. And I'm not thinking about what they can do to me or what they did to me. There's no fear, nor is there any anxiety, which brings me back to the dark basement that I bring my flashlight down to. And as soon as I turn that flashlight on, the boogeyman don't exist. I haven't seen the boogeyman in the light yet. I don't know what the clinical term for that is. <laughs> for, for me, right? For, for me, it, it makes sense. And, and, and from, a, from, a co- from a coaching perspective, you should hear some of the conversations I have with people, right? They, they hear this thing like, boogeyman don't exist in the light. I'm like, what is that, Chris? But there's something to say about that because as a teacher or as a student, right? I have to see myself as the student. And I hope that the student can see themselves as the teacher. Because when I create that channel, oh man, what I'm doing and what I'm practicing is just planting seeds. And my hope is that my student sees or can feel that we've planted a seed together and that they can grow the seed themselves. That's, I could read all the books till I'm blue in the face until I do I learned. That's the only way I learned about fear. I had to face fear. I had to face anxiety, right? So, man, I could say it was you all day, man, Ellison. And you could just give me the technical terms for these things. But, like, I I know these things exist. I'm not making them up. Like, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. sure, man. Yeah, I hear you. Your experiential awareness. That's and absolutely. That's how real change happens. Like, so here's the idea, like the idea of changing your thoughts and changing your story, changing your life. Only mm-hmm. partially, right? Yeah, that's helpful. But only partially, if there isn't an, a bodily experience of that change, if you don't, it's not, it's not a felt change mm-hmm. in the moment, then it's very short lived. Like the body, yeah. you have to experience that change when you hear this, your story differently, but you begin to feel it differently also. Like so mm-hmm. the body in the moment when you talk about the fear, you know, for you to notice where the fear shows up or this anxiety for you to notice and hold space for it in the body and then take a look at it. Yeah, there's a part of you that's showing up that has this anxiety and fear around it. But as you hold space for it, like you're saying, shine light and begin to allow it to be there, you realize that there's nothing at its core. It's just a pattern of energy. Yeah. What energy yeah. pattern, right? I, I, that's, that's what I hear you saying, right? Yeah. So then when, when you're coaching a, a violent sport, such as football to perform optimally without going woo crazy. Right. Like I used to go, I used to go freaking nuts before games and that was all fear-based. How do you teach an athlete to just walk the middle path and have the athlete trust that the middle path will allow him to perform at his ultimate, at his ultimate self? That's a good question, man. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I think about though. I think about Zen philosophy a lot, man. Zen philosophy mm-hmm. and how Zen philosophy was. Oh, another book, man. I would definitely recommend this book, The Zen Way of Martial Arts. 
Zen Way of Martial Arts. Yeah. I've, I've Dude, bought and given that book away like three or four different times. So I, I, can't, I can't think about the guy's name right now. It's an old Zen master. But Zazen breathing, you know, doing the deep abdominal breathing. I, I think like, like you were saying, we can only talk about it so much, but to, to be able to sit and breathe and to feel your breathing in your, in your center and to notice the feelings that come up and the thoughts that come up and, and integrate your, your intuition, your intellect, your intellect and your intent in one mindfully. See, that's that you, that there you go with the technical terms. That's it. <laughs> you, that, that, that's it. And, and right. And the path of getting there, like, fastest i feel is through that zazen breathing sitting and breathing and letting everything kind of consolidate and come in one so you're breathing your instinct all comes out boom that zen is always talking about in the moment instant action because it all comes in that split moment everything comes together that's 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 it and then and teaching that i had that experience two i think two weeks ago right i'm testing my i'm testing out my maxes and stuff like that had a big squat loaded 710 15 pounds on the bar and I started breathing. Right. I was like, I was not on the, on the other side where I was like psyching myself up, smell, smell salts, banging my head against the wall, like nothing. (laughs) I just, I just, I was just breathing big, deep breaths. I got into the bar and then boom, it happened. And I put the bar back and I was just like, I just did that. (laughs) And I walked away, no ego, no nothing involved. My wife was even there. She looked at me. She was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Usually I'm like hollering and screaming, throwing belts around. No, nothing. And what you just said is exactly what I was experiencing. Yeah. And boy, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a beautiful feeling because I was not burnt out. Yeah. That's like I was the whole like, oh. flow too, right? When you're in that flow. So oh, everything comes yeah. to the boom. Your sense of yourself. That's, that's awesome, man. That's what I'm trying to teach, oh, man. Was it again? That's huge, man. It was seven, seven, ten, seven, ten. Damn. Do you have a video? Did you, yeah. Man, did you post it? I didn't see that. I, yeah, I, I need didn't. to. No, oh, this, I, is, I, this I, is the I, book for I, a second. This is the book I'm talking about. So if you guys can. Wait a martial arts. Okay, cool. I'll send it to you and Pat. There's something that, because I have a business account, I try not to make it about myself. You know what I'm saying? There's something about making it about myself that's going to feed my ego that I can't go back to. Damn. You know what I mean? Every, every now and then, like, you know, I'll, I'll post silly stuff, like, you know, funny stuff about my raps. But there's certain things that I just, I have to recognize and say, hey, am I doing this for my ego? What am I teaching here? Mm. Right. And to explain what we just talked about on an IG video is very difficult mm. <laughs> to explain to the masses. Right. But I'll send it to you guys. Cool. Wow. So that was 710 on the, on the squat, you said? Yeah. What were your other ones? I just hit a 480 bench. It was, it's, yeah, it's been a nice experience, man. I like, I, I, I gotta tell you, it's been, it's been really nice, and to, and to do it and not feel like I'm fried, it's nice. Yeah. What do you say is contributing to that? Doing it without feeling fried. So meditation contributes to it big time, yeah. big time, and I think self awareness contributes to it. And like I said, I'm very careful about what I post that has to do with me. You know what I'm saying? Because if I feel like I'm feeding my ego, I have to be very careful. Yeah. With the awakening of my ego, guess what can guess what can awakening, right? Mr. Relapse is walking right behind ego and he's like, hey, hey, player, we partying today. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm grateful for that gift. Very grateful for that. 
I mean, because like like I said, you know, you guys know you guys know the story, right? I've been on PEDs, I've done it all, right? And I'm way stronger than I ever was in my life, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And it's just from just my practice. That's beautiful, man. Just makes me think of back when when I was really big into lifting as heavy as I could, being as big mm-hmm. as I could possibly get, and doing all these things for an external, um, like an external recognition. And mm. as I've been able to dissolve that that piece of my ego of letting go of trying to be, you know, it was almost like for me, this hyper masculine, like I was trying to be like, pack on all this muscle and be strong for, Mm -hmm. for a reason that, that really wasn't when I really was like, who am I doing this for? Why am I even doing this? It was like, I'm just hurting myself. I feel like shit. I'm still not happy. You know? Oh, it was cool. I got that one video of me deadlifting 500 pounds, but it's like the next day I'm, I'm still not happy. I still feel like shit, you know? And it wasn't until I started to really do it for myself and be like, man, I just want to be healthy. I want to move. I want to challenge myself. And there's no competition with anyone. There's, it's just yes. being better than I was before and f- really fulfilling myself in a place that like, like I'm happy. I'm probably like the smallest I've ever been. I feel the happiest. I feel the healthiest. I feel the strongest, the fastest, you know, it's amazing. The correlation of like letting go to step into, you know, the truth, our truth. Yeah. I don't know if that, it makes sense. You know something. And I, you know, you got me thinking like, like I do this because I can, and I know that it ain't going to last. I know that, you know, you know, the the three things, right? You know, death, sickness, and old age, (laughs) right? I know, I know one day my body ain't going to do it. So I'm enjoying, I enjoy the moment. So simple. And so for me, I share this with you. I, 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 because, because we're, this is the Sangha, this is the community. I share it with you because you guys will understand. But I throw that out into the world. What am I putting out there? I could be putting, putting a fire out there and making people want to compete against me. What's that doing? Right. It could cause that one guy to be like, yo, I need to start juicing. <laughs> no, no. You feel me? Yeah. 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 No. You know what I'm saying? So it's, so it's like, I, I have to be very careful because if I, if I'm triggering somebody, I got to be careful. Yeah. It is almost like that further passes on the dysfunction of the yeah. ego it's just furthering pa- it's almost like collective energy it's like this collective yeah passing but if it's in a community where we where we're sharing experiences and and, and it's a close-knit community yeah we share that we do that ellis is like thinking of stuff right now man no you need my ego I'm a, i gotta go bench right now he's over there he's smelling yeah. salts he's like oh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome man now you, you just you made me think about the whole idea of the, the intention behind putting of any action you know really like mm-hmm. being careful the intention behind any any action and how insidious our egos can be you know, so for us to slow down and people try to like, you know, in your own way, have that, that self-reflection around the intention behind your actions. 
Yeah, and I like that whole idea, man. That yeah, it was just it's all it's all passing away. All right, you know, I always think yeah. about that. The old Alan Watts statement: the decaying hand grasping at smoke. You know, it's all mm. it's all fading away. We can enjoy it, but we can still enjoy the the swirls of the smoke as it's fading away, right? <laughs> And that's yeah. the reason why you're doing it. Just enjoying the dance of the smoke as it's all fading away. Wow. Powerful stuff. The next episode we have Ellis on, we can talk about <laughs> something that I've been wrapping my mind around is the birth and death. Mm. And that during one of my meditations, I just felt like I was never born, nor I was just never born. I was always some type of energy. And that is like the best feeling ever to know so that, that is? it is. Yeah. It is to, to, to feel that like, I understand the concept of birth and death. I get that. But then like when I start thinking above another level, right. And when I think about it from an energy perspective, it's never ending. It's just, it's infinite. And then I start talking and then I start thinking about the ultimate. Then I start thinking about the universe. And then I'm like, I'm out of here guys. <laughs> I love and you know what's so cool man is like i mean i don't know that could be contemplated with like psychedelics but like there's no no alcohol like no drug and again it can be contemplated with certain psychedelics getting to deeper states but there's many people who have are reaching i mean you're you're talking about it now reaching these deep states of meditation without taking anything just naturally you as a human being With the help of Thich Nhat Hanh. He helps me, man. Oh, man, I love that guy. (laughs) Man, I I remember running. There was a point where I I was running a lot and I would listen to him piecing every step every time I go for a run. And like mindful running, like even like long runs, just being able to just breathe and count my steps as I'm breathing, coordinating my breathing and my stepping as I'm running. It kind of makes, takes the drag out of running. And then my pace would automatically go up because I'm mindfully with every step, with every breath, trying to be with it as I'm doing that. As I remember, Mm. man, that was so nice. Do you still Um, run, Alice? I saw, I was looking back and I saw a bit ago, you did a triathlon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I run now. um, I'm still part of a triathlon club down here. There's there's a group down here that I I go once in a while, but I haven't competed much doing any of those. Just But on my own, yeah. I run. I saw you were running too, man. Yeah, I got a half marathon on Sunday. Yeah, I, 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 that's all, I did a half marathon. Bang, bang. February, <laughs> and it was painful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not doing the breathing running like I was saying. <laughs> I, was, I was just trying to survive that shit. It was a, it was a trail run. A lot of suffering. Yeah, yeah, it's Sunday. So awesome, I'm, I'm really nice, excited. Man. And it's really cool because, you know, Chris, it brought something up for me. Like when you're talking about the ego and, and, you know, it just reminded me to think of like, why do I do what I do? And man, I got home from a run last week and I, I'm just getting emotional thinking about it. Like this whole running experience has been such a spiritual process for me. I'm doing it for me. It's wild that I'm, I'm doing things I never, I literally didn't believe I could do. For me, it's like, it's crazy. I used to always be like, I'm not a runner, man, screw that shit and this and that. And like, now it's like, I'm in love with it. And I'm like, I'm constantly challenging myself. And like, I literally came home bawling my eyes out because I was like, I can't even, like I'm doing things that I I said I couldn't do. And like, I feel so good doing it. It's beautiful. 
Nice. Yeah, but awesome. there are some runs that I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so. I haven't got to that threshold yet, Jake. Yeah. So maybe I'll be next. <laughs> yeah. I'll we'll meet yeah. you guys in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So man, I'm seriously though, there's like lots of guests we've had on that I'm like, we gotta have them back. Or there's been a couple for sure. And actually I was telling Ellis Nico, because Ellis knows Nico. We had Nico Becker as one of our first guests and you both, man, we're bringing you guys back because this is cool, man. We finish up every episode with asking our guests a question, just one question. And the name of our podcast is the Performance for Life podcast. And I basically explain this every episode, but for us, Performance for Life is more than just, I mean, even this episode, I feel like is just like summarizes that. Like we talked, I think like physical health and fitness was like a piece maybe a a 1% of what we talked about today. So it's like, we understand and value that health is so much deeper than just exercise. And especially with what you do with psychotherapy, what would you say performance for life means to you? Like what, when you think like, oh, performance for life, what, what does that mean for you? Showing up, you know, I think Mm -hmm. like a lot of what we're talking about today, you know, just to be fully present with what is, Mm -hmm. you know, to show up fully both with yourself and then with other people, you know, to be fully present with somebody, I think is the biggest gift that we can give. And I think about like just that moment of whether it's with my wife, just fully being there with my kids. You know, I have a son and a daughter when my son wants to play that I can fully just let shit go and fully be with him. You know, when I, if I'm going to run to just fully be with that run, like, and when I'm with my clients, you know, to just show up fully, you know, my, my heart, my mind, or my energy in each moment. That's, I think, that's, I don't know, how I feel. Yeah. Beautif- beautifully said, man. Yeah. Well said. Well tell said, tell the world where we can find you, man. You're like IG, website, all that good stuff. Yeah, my IG game it hasn't been that great, but I'm going to start up again. But yeah, <laughs> Ellis underscore host is IG, so follow mm-hmm. me there. Now, do you work with do you do any like coaching or work with anyone outside of the state of Florida or Florida, Florida and New York? I'm licensed okay. in Florida and New York. Nice. Right on. Where in Florida are you? I'm in Palm Harbor, Florida, west of Tampa. West of Tampa, okay. Yeah, cool. it's mm-hmm. Petersburg, Clearwater area. Nice, man. Right on, brother. This was awesome, weird. man. This was really cool, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on, blessing us with your, your presence. Nah, you guys are great, man. Both <laughs> you guys are awesome dudes. Shit. <laughs> the work you're doing, you fuck, too. Man, it's life-changing. You know? The vulnerability mm-hmm. and just the openness and just the desire to, to authentically connect with people. Fuck, man, this is what we need. Yeah, for sure. We certainly do. Thank you for being this a part world, of it, dude. This, this world is wacky, man. <laughs> yeah. there will be a part two <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. cool man 